Our scripture this morning is going to come from Acts chapter 1. And this morning we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 26 from the English Standard Version. In beginning at verse 21, the scripture says, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two: Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. This morning, we're going to talk about the undoing of uncertainty, the undoing of uncertainty. During the week in 2014, where I came to Omaha for the first time, my life was changed by more than just the invitation from the Lord to plant church on purpose. While wrestling with the idea, my good friend and brother Anthony would pose various questions to help me process what I was hearing and feeling. Regularly throughout that week of conversation, my mind and heart would know the answer to the question, but my mouth would betray my reality and I would respond with, I don't know. We've all had those moments where the decision and its implications are vast and far reaching. And we do our best to analyze all of the angles of the situation to arrive at our conclusions. And during those heavy moments of contemplation, if someone asks us what our answer is, we respond with an I don't know, even though we really do know, but have yet not found the courage to face what we do know. That week ends up being transformative for me because during that time, Anthony shares with me how one of his professors who was responsible for facilitating a class on race between both black and white students would regularly challenge students with difficult and tough questions that required introspection. As they assessed and evaluated their perspectives and how their legacy and their lineage and how uh, and their home life had influenced their bias in, in society, unwilling to embrace and acknowledge the fact that they had in, uh, participated in racist behaviors on consistent basis, many students when faced with that reality would respond to the professor's questions with I don't know. Unwilling to allow them to limit their growth and unwilling to allow them to remain in the place, the same place that they had entered his classroom with, the professor would not allow them 
to hide behind an I don't know. And he would tell them that an I don't know is really just an unwillingness to embrace what we do know. I've shared this with many of you all on individual bases. And the problem with I don't know is that it absolves us of the responsibility to act on what we do know. At some point in life, ignorance ceases to be an excuse and it becomes a choice. As it relates to how to interact with and navigate our relationship with the Lord, there will always be something that we just don't know. But I don't know will never be a sufficient excuse for the things that we should know and the things we are given the opportunity to know. Acknowledging the restricted and the limiting nature of I don't know gives us the opportunity to embrace and acknowledge what we do know. And when we walk in the truth of what we do know, then we are provided with a ladder out of the maze. The graphic that you see on your screen obviously is a three-dimensional maze and in the middle of the maze is a ladder providing access to the top. And anyone that has ever participated in a three-dimensional maze, you know, maybe at the, uh, the cornfield at Vallas uh, or any of the other corn mazes that um, you can access in the fall, it is always challenging and confusing navigating the maze when you are in the maze. But that's the reason why they provide you with a map so that while in the maze, you can have a perspective that shows you the totality of the turns and the twists and the opportunities that are in front of you in order to help you to navigate the maze. As long as we live our lives embracing the uncertainty of I don't knows, as long as we are willing to deny what we do know, about what God has already said to us and what he's already commanded and called us to do. As long as we are willing to hide behind the comfort of an I don't know, because it allows us to remain where we are instead of embracing the challenge to go beyond where we are. As long as we continue to hide in the I don't knows, we stay trapped in the maze. But when we will acknowledge the reality of what we do know, embrace the truth that we have already received, then it provides us with a ladder out of the maze. It has the amazing ability to alter our perspective so that rather than only looking at what is in front of us, we can see beyond the walls that are blocking us today and see the opportunities that will exist for us down the road. If you are uncertain about life today, then take heart to know that a moment around 2,000 years ago was the undoing of uncertainty. In Acts chapter 1, we find the disciples gathering in the upper room in obedience to Jesus' directive to return to Jerusalem and to wait there. And in this moment, we observe the last moment in human history where uncertainty was an acceptable excuse. 
And in it, we are able to learn from the disciples how to undo uncertainty in our own lives today. When we look at verses 21 through 23 of the first chapter of the book of Acts, we are reminded that life demands answers. Life demands answers. Verse 21 says, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to the resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. Life demands answers. When we meet the disciples here in this portion of the text, it is in the middle of a brief season of silence. Jesus has, of course, been crucified, been in the grave, resurrected on the third day morning. And since his resurrection, he has continued to meet with his disciples, continuing to teach them about the kingdom of God. By the time we get here, Jesus has Uh, completed 40 days of supplemental education with his disciples. And now he knows that he has to leave, that he has given them everything that they're going to need, everything they're going to need to remember, everything they're going to need to reflect on to be able to do what it is he's called them to do. But the one missing piece cannot come until he leaves. And so Jesus takes them to the top of the mountain. And he gives them his final directive. We call it the Great Commission to go, therefore, and to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that he commanded us with the assurance that he would be with us until the end of the age. He gives his disciples his final commandment. And then the scripture says that he's taken up into heaven on a cloud the same way that he's going to return one day. And then for 10 days, the disciples operate in silence they no longer have the presence of jesus with them they no longer have his direct connection and communication to be able to process life during that period of silence their communication isn't what it once was jesus is now gone for some of us we navigate through seasons where our communication and interaction with the Lord isn't the way that it used to be. If you have been serving the Lord for any length of time, then you know that your uh, clarity of communication ebbs and flows like the seas. One day is up, one day is down, a couple of months is up, the next days you feel like you don't even remember what God's phone number is. Some days you feel like y'all talk like best friends and and, and, uh, and, and there's nothing that you can't talk about. And then a few weeks later, life happens and you feel like you can't talk to him about anything. Some days you feel like you read your word and the scriptures just pop off the page and the dots just connect and everything just makes sense. And then you look again at the very same uh, text and none of it makes sense. Communication with the Lord ebbs and flows as we go through life. There are seasons where everything is great, but there are also seasons of silence. And the disciples are living and navigating in a season of silence. But what I love about their example is that they aren't lazy in limbo. 
during the season where Jesus is gone and the promise has not yet come to pass, the disciples don't sit and rest on their laurels and wait for God to do everything, but they take the season to prepare for what is to come next. While they don't know everything, they do know what Jesus has already taught them. They do know what Jesus has already commanded them. They do know the parts of his plan that he has already revealed to them. And one of the elements of his plan that he revealed is that there would be 12 apostles to lead the work that is to come. And so the disciples acknowledge the fact that Judas in his betrayal has disqualified himself from continuing with the apostleship. And now there are only 11 of them. And, and the scripture tells us that the expectations for an apostle is one who had been with them from the beginning to the end of Jesus's ministry and witnessed his resurrection. And so when the disciples gathered there in the upper room with Jesus gone and waiting on the promise, they decide to take it upon themselves to do what it is they know is a part of God's plan. And that's ensure that there are 12 disciples. The only problem with it, though, is that when they evaluate the men that are there according to the criteria for apostleship, there are two men who meet the criteria. And so how do they choose between these two qualified candidates? In this moment, they do what they know to do. But in the process, they arrive at a point where selection can't be decided by them. This is a moment in life that needs answers that they simply do not have. And the reality is for each and every one of us that even if we took everything that Jesus has already said and already commanded to us, even if we took everything that we know about the plan that God has already communicated to us and already laid out for us, inevitably, life will have questions that we don't have answers for. Inevitably, we will arrive at a place where the, uh, the situation that is presented to us is one that we are not equipped to answer. And the reality is we have the same choice that the disciples had on that day of whether we are going to, in arrogance and pride and bravado, step up and assume to make an answer, to make a decision uh, that we are not qualified to make, or if we are going to, as we see in verses 24 through 26 of the scripture, if we are going to embrace the opportunity to depend on the source. When presented with a question that they could not answer, the disciples do what we all ought to do. Presented with this insert uncertainty, the disciples depend on the source. Verse 24 of our scripture says, and, uh, and they put forward to Joseph Carbar Sabbath. No, sorry. Verse 24 says, and they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And the scripture says that they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. The disciples pinned on the source. They acknowledge in their moment of uncertainty that there is one 
who is very certain of what needs to be done. Here's the reality. Not only did you have to be present with Jesus from the beginning to the end of his ministry, and not only did you have to witness his resurrection, witness the resurrected Savior, but in order to be an apostle, you also had to be directly selected, handpicked by Jesus. And that's why the disciples couldn't choose between the two. Had it only been one, they would have interpreted that as the selection and designation as, uh, of this individual as the replacement apostle. But because there were two, they knew that if they were to choose one, there were the odds that they could end up choosing incorrectly, that selecting an apostle was solely Jesus's responsibility. And they knew that they could trust his selection because they say it themselves, oh, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all. They could trust Jesus' guidance and direction because they knew that he could see deeper than the outward things that they could see. This is a reference to 1 Samuel chapter 16 when David is anointed by Samuel as the next king of Israel to replace Saul after his disobedience. Because in that moment, Samuel keeps looking at the brothers of David and looks at their outward appearance and believes that they have everything. They have the appearance of a king. But the Lord reminds Samuel that he has not chosen them just because they look like the right person. Because the God that we serve is one who doesn't get stuck on outward appearances. He doesn't get stuck on the checklist that people establish to say whether or not you are qualified to do what it is he created you to. To do he is not a God that is stuck on the same uh, uh, finite and imperfect things that we as human beings get stuck on while men may look at the outward appearance while men may look at the resume while men may look at the education while men may look at the pedigree it is God who looks beyond our outward appearance and looks at our hearts and it is in looking below the surface that God is able to determine whether or not we are the ones for what it is he's calling us to do. So understand that if God is calling you to do something today, he's not worried about what you look like on the outside. He's not worried about where you live. He's not worried about where you come from. He's not worried about how you dress. He's not worried about how much is in your account. He's not worried about what you drive. He's not worried about anything else that everybody else is looking at to try to disqualify you from what it is he made you to do he's not worried about all of those things because he's already looked past them all and he's looked into your heart and seen that you have a heart for him and a heart that he can depend on to love his people the way that he loves them and that's the only acceptance that matters he knows the heart while everybody else gets stuck on the outward appearance God looks at the heart so the disciples know we're looking at these men and it looks like they have everything that's needed but Jesus we need you to help us to understand which one you have selected which one has the heart of an apostle they knew they could trust Jesus because Jesus could see what they can't and for those of you that are experiencing uncertainty today you can trust the God of creation because he sees everything that you can't see he sees where the provision is coming from. He sees where the support already is. He sees where the relationships are going to be established. He sees where all the traps already are. You can trust him because he sees what you can't. But also, 
they're able to trust him because they say in their prayer, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. The disciples are able to embrace the reality and the truth that God is sovereign in his selection. They don't say, show us which one we need to choose. Their prayer is, show us which one of these two, you, God, in your sovereignty, in your intentionality, in your planning, and in your purpose, which one you have, not which one you will choose, but which one you have chosen. See, sometimes we are waiting on God not to make decisions and not to make moves. We're simply waiting to understand the decisions and the moves that God has already made. In this moment, it wasn't like God didn't know that they were going to be presented with this moment and this opportunity to choose and select. He had already determined which disciple was going to be made an apostle because he created that man to fill that spot. And there are things that you are waiting on God to clarify for you that God has already decided on. He's already settled it. He's already determined it. It's just got to be communicated to you. God already knows where your resources are coming from. You just don't yet know. God already knows who he's sending to support you and to help you. You just ain't met them yet. And they're coming because they were created for that purpose. And the disciples are able in this moment in their prayer to acknowledge the fact that God is the one who is able to make the decision because he has already made the decision. He already knows. And they say, you show us which of these two you have chosen. To acknowledge the fact that. That God made the choice is to acknowledge purposeful designation. There is no eeny, meeny, miny, mo in this. God doesn't look at Justice and Matthias and I don't know, either one of them. No, God chooses because God is intentional and the disciples know that God has already chosen the man that would replace Judas as an apostle. Where they are in this moment of uncertainty is just trying to understand what God has already planned. But being in position to find oneself in alignment with God's plan begins with believing that he's got a plan in the first place. And sometimes we live our lives as if God has not already planned out what's best for us. Sometimes we respond to his commands and to his call as if we don't believe that he's planned the next five, six, seven, eight steps after the three that he's asking us to take right now. But the disciples understand in this moment that the best thing that they can do is be in alignment with the will of God. Now, interestingly enough, 
the disciples are at a deficit that you and I don't have to experience today, thank God. Because Jesus is gone. The Holy Spirit has not yet come. So they are literally in the dark about the will of God. And so we see them do something in Scripture that sometimes may seem pretty weird. In verse 26, the Scripture says, and they cast lots for them. So they prayed and asked the Lord to show them which one he had chosen, and then they cast lots for them. And that's when the lot falls on Matthias, and they end up counting him with the disciples. Now, this idea of casting lots was likely stones that they had marked, dropped in a pot, they shake them up and throw them out. And then based upon how the stones fell, that would clue them in to who the Lord had chosen. So, sounds real strange for people who believe in Jesus to be doing that, don't it? Especially because of the way that we've grown up. And here's what you have to appreciate. You have lived your life on this side of the resurrection, on this side of Pentecost, which means that as long as you have been a believer in Jesus Christ, you had direct access to his spirit to be able to understand his will. The disciples in this moment don't have that access. And so they have to utilize methods that were traditional for them in order to discern the will of God because they did not have the access of the Holy Spirit that we have today. This practice was based on the belief espoused by Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, where it says the lot is cast into the lap, but it is every but but it's every decision is from the Lord. Let me read that again. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Basically, they had come to appreciate and acknowledge the sovereignty of God so much that if they were to cast lots, however, the lots fail would be in alignment with what God wanted to happen in that moment, because God is the controller of all things anyway. So people who didn't have access to the spirit could still trust the sovereignty of God by casting lots and allowing him to organize and orchestrate the universe to cause gravity to affect this stone and cause it to roll over there so that that would be the one that would give them the answer that they were looking for that would keep them in alignment with what God wanted them to do. In scripture, there are 16 cases where lots are cast in order to make decisions. Most notably in scripture, in Leviticus chapter 16, on the day of atonement, the, the, uh, the priest, the high priest, would cast lots to choose between the goat that would be sacrificed and the goat that would be the scapegoat. So however the lot fell between the two, one would be killed, its blood would be poured, would be wiped on the altar, the other one would have the blood from the bull and the dead goat placed on his head when the high priest would lay his hands on the head and on his head and confess all of the sins of the people for the last year before sending it into the wilderness. That's how they figured out which goat to use. They would cast lots. In Numbers 33, the division of the promised land and distribution of the land was determined by casting lots. In order to figure out which family got which parcel of land, Joshua cast lots. And based on how the lot fell, it determined which portion of land each family, each tribe 
was allotted. In Jonah chapter one, very famously, when trying to figure out who was responsible for getting them in trouble in the storm, because you remember Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, but he didn't like the Ninevites. So he decided he was going to go the opposite direction to Tarshish. And the Lord brought up a storm that was so overwhelming that the crew knew that the ship was getting ready to go down. And they started asking one another who was responsible for bringing this upon them. And Jonah had to acknowledge that, uh, he, you know, he tried to sit back in the cut until they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah because ain't nobody want to admit nothing. He tried to hide in the cut. And they was like, nah, Jonah got the blue, uh, the blue stone, you got the green stone, you got the red stone. And when they threw the stones out, the blue stone was the one that put Jonah on blast. He was like, y'all, I'm sorry, I probably should have told y'all that already. And so they're like, what, well, what are we supposed to do? And that's when they, and he's like, you know, well, just throw me overboard. I always wonder why Jonah didn't just jump overboard. Like, why did they have to throw him overboard? But anyway, uh, that's a, a tangent. Um, but the lot falls on Jonah, they throw him overboard. So they use lots to identify who was responsible for causing the problems in that moment. And then here in Acts chapter one, we find the disciples, the apostles, casting lots to identify who is going to be numbered with the apostles. You wanna hear something very interesting? This is the last time in scripture that lots are ever cast in order to understand and discern the will of the Lord. You know why? Because Pentecost is coming. They had to cast lots because the Holy Spirit had not yet come to dwell with humanity. So that was the only avenue that they had to be able to decide and determine and understand the will of God. For you and I, we don't have to depend on sticks and stones. We don't have to depend on horoscopes. We don't have to depend on signs and all this other foolishness that we use in order to try to clue us in to why we are the way we are and what God is doing in our lives. We have the Holy Spirit of God. And because on Pentecost, this Holy Spirit arrives, the arrival of the Holy Spirit is the connection and guidance that we need to continually remain in alignment with the will of God. Jesus never had to cast lots to make any of the decisions that he had to make because his signal was always clear. And unfortunately, many of us live our lives with weak signals. I was in a conversation this week. While I was in the phone, I was walking under a tree and the person on the other end of the phone was driving through some trees. So suffice it to say, that was like five to six minutes of wasted talking because nobody heard anything. I'm sorry, I'm not on the 5G train yet. I still got old 4G. Janae got 5G, but I got 4G. And so my signal gets affected directly when trees are around. But that is reminiscent of the way that we live our lives oftentimes, trying to understand what God clearly wants us to do, what he's clearly communicating on his side. But we can't understand it because we got a filthy signal. And that's because we won't position ourselves in a place where we can hear him clearly. What kind of sense does it make for me knowing that my signal going to be jacked up and I'm standing under a tree? 
What kind of sense does it make for us to say that we want to be able to hear the Lord clearly, but we're not reading his word, we're not praying, we're not consistent in worship, we're not talking and engaging with our brothers and sisters in the faith, we're not learning and growing and taking advantage of the opportunities that we can, we're not confessing our sin so that the, the, the pathway is clearer. We say we want to hear, we say we want to understand, but then we don't do the things that help to improve the signal so that we can hear and understand. We don't have to live our lives with the uncertainty that those that don't know Jesus have to live their lives with. Understand there are people still today who have to try to navigate the world the way that people did before Jesus came and died and before he sent the Holy Spirit. But we don't have to live that way because we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and receive the deposit of the Holy Spirit of God then each and every day when we get up and put our feet on the floor the Lord is guiding us his spirit is speaking to us and all the questions that we have he's got answers to because the word tells us that he's omniscient that means that he's all-knowing he's omnipresent that means that the places that you are getting ready to go he is already there he's already got the answers he already has the keys he already has the power and he's already given you the directions to get from where you are to where he's trying to take you so that should eliminate any uncertainty we have in our lives there is no excuse for a believer of God to say I don't know because what you do know is the one who knows everything and when we walk in that then we can stop living in fear of not knowing how things are going to shake out when we make this uncomfortable decision that God is inviting us to make. Pentecost is the undoing of uncertainty because it is no longer a justifiable excuse for us to say, I don't know. Because even in the moments when we don't know, we are plugged into a source that does know. Pretty consistently now, when people ask me questions, you know, I don't feel like I'm an idiot or anything. I do pretty well when I'm watching Jeopardy. I have a pretty wide range of knowledge, but I don't know everything. And when people ask me questions that I don't know the answer to, I now have this habit of saying, well, Google knows. What day of the week was February 29th on? I don't know. Guess who does? Google knows. And so I will take out my phone I will go to Google, type in the question, and get the answer. Not knowing is no longer acceptable for me. And as children of God, not knowing should not be acceptable for us. Now, like I said earlier, there are certain things that we just will not know, and Scripture is very clear about that. It don't matter how long we live. We can live 900 
and 69 years, and we still wouldn't know everything that God knows. Why? Because we're not God. We don't have God capacity to know everything, but we have access to the one that does know everything. And the reality is there are some things that we keep saying we don't know that we really do know. There are some areas of our life where we are living with uncertainty, where God has already provided clarity. And for those places and spaces, we got to grow up. We got to mature and stop using I don't know as an excuse to justify to ourselves not doing what we already know we're supposed to be doing. So that then in those places and spaces where we really don't know, we can be focused on hearing from him to receive the clarity that we need. Sometimes that's going to be an immediate answer. But sometimes, like the disciples in the text, the answer is going to be, go to Jerusalem and wait. And when we don't have all of the information that we want, we have faith in the information that we already have. And the truth is, the God who called you, the God who loves you, is the same God that has a plan for you. He knows what he's doing. He knows. So no more. No more uncertainty in our lives. Let us do the work on the front end to have the clarity of signal that we need to be able to receive clearly how God is guiding us. No more embracing uncertainty in life. Because I find it amazing that in Acts chapter one, with such a pivotal decision, the disciples would need to cast lots. But then as you read the rest of Acts, which is filled with pivotal decisions, they never again are uncertain about what the will of God is because they embrace the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit and they allow the Lord to lead them and guide them daily. We can be better. The Lord has more for us. And when we trust him, we will see him do what we have been waiting so long for him to do. The undoing of uncertainty is complete. Let's stop walking like we don't have the Holy Spirit with us on a daily basis. God, thank you so much for the time that you blessed us to be able to share today. I pray, God, that you would help us to find courage and confidence in your calling and your commands. Help us, Lord, to stand on what we know you have already said. And when presented with decisions, those places where we already know, help us to have the courage to stop leaning on the crutch of an I don't know. No, we do know. We need to live like we know. 
And so help us, Lord. To be who it is we know you are calling us to be. To do the things that we know you are calling us to do. Because we are not in uh, a place of silence and disconnection from you, Lord. We are blessed to live in an age where we have your spirit with us. And you, Jesus, said that he was here to guide us and to counsel us. Help us to utilize the counselor, to lean on, depend on the counselor, so that we can live lives that bring honor and glory to you. We thank you, Lord, for your love, your faithfulness, and your favor. We pray that you would continue to be with us and bless us in Jesus' name.